and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-hosts are Debbie Boy and the DJ. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Back in lockdown. 2020 <laughs> is back. I feel like I'm being on I'm on house arrest already. What is FBI breaking or something? What you nah. keeping your, what have you been keeping on your hard drive, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be playing 20 questions right now. Are we going to do that right now? Let me guess, I'm going to have this like plate of donuts and eat them all and then go like, he did it. <laughs> no, we know so you did it. It was DJ. your partner outside in the car. He did it. It wasn't my fault. We know you did it, DJ. We just don't know what it is yet. <laughs> You know you've done something. Like th- that laugh is very suspicious. It'd be, like, it'd be you like can the, see DJ's it, face, and you think he's guilty. Exactly right. <laughs> he's not. He's not saying he isn't. So he hasn't said his case yet. So obviously he's guilty straight away. Be, this is like the next episode of Law and Order. <laughs> like, Debbie Boy Stabler. And the professor is like the police lieutenant. <laughs> so like, all right, we need to break this guy down, Debbie Boy. Employ your hardest tactic you can ever find. <laughs> uh, breaking news right in a second. I was just scrolling Twitter. Uh, breaking news, only a couple of seconds, uh, hours ago, uh, multi, multi-time world-class Tetris champion Johnson Nuremba passes away. Oh. So it's just happened. Um, What's his from, record? Pardon? What's his record? Uh, let's see. Nintendo.com, what do they say? Seven times winner. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, what's his high score? Oh. Did they list that? Uh, let me try and find it. Let me give you the, like... Although, thing. if it's a, a championship, maybe they don't track the score. Uh, let's see. Wikipedia, come help me, please. There we go. Uh, seven times seven times winner, tested, tested, <laughs> Tetris world champion. Um, I don't know. I think it's just because he won seven times. I don't think it, there's an okay. actual score. If you go deep, I'm sure it's somewhere, but it's more just the fact he won seven times. This is the best player in the world. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, so sorry if another depressing start has popped up, and I was like, well, that, that, that's kind of important. I wonder if he ever played Tetris 99. <laughs> I believe he did a video um, with it. Okay, going to have to check this out. Because um, he would absolutely wreck. I wonder if he ever played the Tetris um, Battle Royale game. Let's that's miss. Tetris 99, DJ. Oh, my bad. There you go. Winning streak, hot pass. Because I'm assuming, like, when I play Tetris, I can get maybe five. So I'm assuming his high score is at least seven. It has to be something like that. I mean, he was doing championships with uh, Tetris 99 for looks of things like a Google search. But I can't confirm that. That's just on based on some Reddit posts I'm just saying. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of counting, you guys know that an AI has developed visual number sense without being trained for it. Oh, uh-oh. What? What is that? Okay, the so uprising has begun. Can, so it can... What does that mean, exactly? So, basically, every animal has number sense, and that is being able to uh, sort of estimate the number of things in a group. Okay. Buffalo, like just an example, buffalo, or maybe it was bison. I'm not sure what the difference is. Oh, they, sky uh, bison, I see now. <laughs> they pick a direction to go by all pointing in different directions and then counting it up and seeing which direction wins. I see. Uh, So so every animal has some sense of that sort of skill. And now a computer that wasn't trained for that has developed it. That's uh, that's okay. Well, 
You do know what's incredible, is, but if the research has yeah. no why, it's suddenly developed intelligence. No, I don't think they do. No. But they were experimenting with untrained neural networks to see what would happen. And then they Makes realized sense. that, hey, this thing's counting. So basically the way they trained the network it just ended up, it just went to the way it wasn't there weren't um, designing it for, basically, I'm guessing. Yeah. So it's an interesting view of cognition that number sense is based on another sense. So um, that could, well, that raises some interesting questions about how your brain develops and or how how it works really makes sense so and whether maybe being able to um count a well to yeah having visual number sense is a sign of consciousness mm-hmm. oh, oh no okay so you basically yeah it would it would hey huh. well i'm just making this up a bit as i go along but um the something allows senses to well creatures that develop number sense even when they don't get exposed to numbers like people are mm. because for all of their great uh, technological advances penguins still don't have accountants <laughs> <laughs> i mean this comes back to me thinking about that uh, video from ages ago about those ais that managed to break the system um i forgot which one it was but it's by like guy there's lots of like ai and um machine learning youtube videos and they managed to break the, uh, I think we talked about it before, they managed to break the game and find out they can use the glitches inside the actual physics engine to complete the uh, challenge. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we might have mentioned that. I don't think we've had it in an episode. No, let's see if I can find it. It's, it's a popular video. Anyways, while I'm doing this. I like how the model that they were using, the AlexNet model, is designed on the basis of structure of a biological visual pathway. Um, they found that the number selected neurons are observed in a random initialized DNNs in the complete absence of learning. Yeah, it was by two minute papers. Um, OpenAI open plays hide and seek and breaks the game. Um, so, yeah, basically, <laughs> it's hide and seek between uh, teams of three and two. And basically, the uh, seeking team, well, first, the hiding team found they could break the physics engine to move a block in front of the door in a way it jams. And then the seekers found out they can use this physics engine and break it by using the blocks they can move around to actually launch themselves into the air and jump over a barrier. So wow. um, <laughs> it's like, well, no one thought you this was not meant to, this wasn't part of the test. So we've invented AI speedrunners. Pretty oh, much. Oh, no. I wanted a fail cheat. Oh, so here I'm looking at the um, Wikipedia page to talk talking about number sense and the concepts that involve that involves the number sense includes uh, concepts of magnitude, ranking, comparison, measurement, rounding, percent, and estimations include estimating with large numbers to provide reasonable approximations, judging the degree of precision approximate to a situation, solving real life problems involving percentages and decimal proportions. Uh, comparing degree in Fahrenheit and Celsius in real-life situations. Okay, so it's more complex than I was thinking. Although, um, the other key thing about number sense, well, the example I heard for it was that, uh, you know, when you look at two small piles, you can tell sort of instinctively which one's bigger, even without counting it. And as I understand it, that ability falls off around 25 items. I could be pulling the numbers out of thin air here, but um, yeah, that's one uh, one application of number number sense. Mm. 
They say that uh, number sense is said to be a prime importance for children in early elementary education. And it's a focus area of pre-K through second grade uh, mathematics education. So I think this is good in a sense, like it could help um, kids learn I mean, it's, uh, it's, number it's sense. It's always good to look on the positive side. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, every time someone here, like everyone looks at Boston Dynamics video and goes, oh no, the world's going to end. But <laughs> I mean, it's not. Any guy can strap a gun to a robot and program it to shoot. But <laughs> it depends if you're the, you know the guy. Who's gonna the strap thing people are worried about is taking humans out of the loop. Apparently it's okay for a robot to kill you as long as there's a human directing that robot. Is it? I think that's worse. Because I feel it's better as just robots and robots trying to kill each other. Because I'm like, they're just robots. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole, robots killing humans is kind of like... I mean, it goes against the laws, which I mean, no one really follows anyway. But, the you know, the three laws of... What was it? AI something? I can't remember. It's yeah, like, as a monthly laws, yeah, are not binding in any way. No, <laughs> your computer just... has no concept of the three laws unless you tell it about them. Yeah, but in speaking of Asimov's laws, have you heard that, that someone was saying that they should update the Asimov's laws? I mean, they were made one in the nineteen fifties, so probably a good idea. So, yeah, they're a good general catch-all, but there's a few tweaks I've heard of. So here's a, here are some of the uh, new laws that have been uh, proposed. So new law number one, AI should complement professionals, not replace them. Okay. Uh, replace the professionals. Then we will get to be lazy and slack off. So it'd be like Wally, only crazy. Exactly like Wally. <laughs> there wasn't a moral message there that I've apparently missed, was there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, new law number two Robotic systems and AI Should not counterfeit humanity Just like Wally <laughs> Wally falls in love That's counterfeiting humanity Wally <laughs> should be fed into the incinerator <laughs> Ouch. New, new law number three Robotic systems and AI Should not intensify zero-sum arms race Yeah That's sort of a general rule for life though <laughs> you shouldn't intensify an arms race ever. Uh, new law number four, robotic systems and AI must always indicate the identity of their creators, controllers, and owners. Yep, that one's understandable as well. I mean, if I'm being killed by a robot, I'd like to know who to send a letter to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dear owner of the robot that killed me, you suck. Like the fire department letter email in IT crowd. Oh. <laughs> Dear sir slash madam, oh, yeah. I am being murdered by your autonomous robot. <laughs> Help. <laughs> but he, okay, here's a question for you guys. Like we've been talking about the positives and negatives of um AI and how um like this new achievement of AI learning number sense. Do you reckon, like, AI's, AI over the years has been getting all, all this flack for, oh, my God, AI is evolving. This is going to kill humanity and stuff. Do you reckon this is the time for AI to get a new image, basically? I mean, we're, we're slowly getting the whole, like, AI getting a new image and stuff, but it's not working in a sense. In what sense do you mean? Like, people still have that whole, oh, my God, AI is still going to kill us and... Uh, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Like, if anything's ever going to get worse, 
Yeah, people are going to panic more and more as the computers become more powerful. Powerful, yeah. Like, nobody thought a Commodore 64 was going to take that job. <laughs> Until it did. Well, it did, they. It just reminds me of um, South Park with the whole, uh, they took her jeebs! Oh, <laughs> but that being said, though, like, I think this is, with the whole number sense and AI, if they put more practicality into that into that i think it will give a good image in a sense like number sense is important we all know that i think you could probably program the um program the number sense in or at least train it deliberately but what what you're not seeing is that uh the things that go in behind that which is why i think this is interesting this is a development of consciousness well Maybe not consciousness, but it's on its way there. It's how the uh, how the computer gets to where it is. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the tough part, really. Let me break it all down. Yeah, so I think um, you know the fact that this happened accidentally is what makes it interesting. Yes, definitely. I think just quickly jumping on that topic once more of people's reaction, like even us right now, we're like, oh, okay, which you know some of, oh, well that's a bit daunting. Like, give it 20 years and perhaps it might be on fire or a living piece of robots. You never know what the future holds. But I think, given such a massive theme of sci-fi, with cyberpunk becoming more and more popular, I think it's going to become more and more in the consciousness of the mainstream as time progresses. So it's definitely going to involve, basically. And like, for examples, and like this example here, with how, you know, the AI just suddenly... Well, not AI, but the, the machine learning algorithm decides, oh, you know, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do this. That's a very, hmm, you know, it's like, so, so you did something we didn't really want you to do, but you did anyway. It's cool. And but- on the plus side, the thing it did that we didn't want it to do wasn't killing everyone with deadly neurotoxin. Which is good, which is good, but it's more, what does that say, you know? So if we do make intelligent AI, and this is low-level AI, which is really not even AI itself, it's a machine learning algorithm. It already develops its own <laughs> its own thoughts in a way. But yes, we're not we're not committing mass murder just yet. <laughs> oh, so always be polite to your computer just in case. <laughs> now, kids, remember if you're raging game session, don't bash Xbox 360 as I might jump to life and become a transformer. Just saying. <laughs> Same goes vending machines. <laughs> does remind me of a um, story I once heard about a lady who would type please after every line in the command prompt. Oh? She was, t- um, she didn't want to be mean to the computer. So every, t- this was back in the 80s. Everything she did, she'd type please. Makes sense. So hang on, sorry. What did she do in the 80s? She was learning how to use a computer. Oh, fair enough. At, um, at a school or wherever. Mm-hmm. And her, her work kept failing. So the instructor was investigating and found out that she'd always type please so oh. that the computer would think she was being polite. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet, but upsetting at the same time. I would hate it as a code of that came like stand language. Obviously it won't be, but if it was. Someone, um, I believe, has made a, um, a language where you have to say please. Please, sir, can I have some but more RAM? You, no, this is it. Um, you have to say please. If you don't say please often enough, it won't compile. If you say please too often, it won't compile because you're groveling. (laughs) 
space computer. Will you just pile this program one more time? No, I'm not compiling again. Blows up, <laughs> catches fire, creates legs, jumps out the window. Speaking of AI, could you imagine uh, robots doing the whole Oliver Twist routine? Oliver Twist. Please, sir, can I have more? Says the robot number oh, one. Oh, yeah, 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 I got you. <laughs> yes, here we go. The language is called Intercal. <laughs> oh, someone had fun naming that. Well, it's abbreviated for uh, the compiler language with no pronounceable inter- acronym. No, that's not an acronym. Okay, well, it's called Intercal, but it's um, also known as the compiler language with no pronounceable acronym. <laughs> Makes sense. There is no acronym. <laughs> no like acronym. <laughs> oh, freaking software devs. Always some <laughs> random project they've come up with. I love... Uh, is esoteric languages because they're so weird. But moving on, our next topic is about a tragic death. <gasps> the death of Flash. <laughs> Come on. Look what you've done, Professor. You made Debbie Boy cry. <laughs> you killed my boy. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> And we're not talking about DC Hero Flash here. We're talking about something uh, else. Not other Flash. Not my pretty Flash player. <laughs> I remember when I used to watch videos on Flash Player, it wouldn't load, and then it would load, then it just forward five frames, then jumps back six minutes. It was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed it so, so much. Hey, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, Flash had its issues. I remember when I played Flash has... games and it asked me to do a login. Turns out this game was stolen from another website and someone had managed to extract it and put in a brand new security flaw. Entry email to have me hacking. There, your account hacks. Woots. <laughs> no, little kitty. Yeah, I know you're 13. Trust me. This is... A hundred percent a safe website to play games on. Just don't mind the pop ups. <laughs> yeah. It's hundred percent safe. Yep. <laughs> you were saying there, Professor? It's not perfect. It has a lot of issues. It's not perfect. It was not perfect. It's yeah. dead. But good things came out of it. Not hundred percent. No, definitely. It's just a shame, you know, it's a shame we couldn't get a better tool, but for what it was, it incredible things happened. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's sad, but at least I never have to touch uh, Flash's scripting language again, ActionScript. Oh, God. What terrifies me, though, oh. is that um, up until a couple of months ago, at least, the Cole's uh, training website still ran on hey. Flash. Oh, and... <laughs> Yeah, as an IT guy, I'd have to enable Flash, and every time it would make me twitch. <laughs> I feel sorry for the trainees and the <laughs> Flash right now. Yeah, so um, anyway, uh, so many sites ran were based around Flash back then. And you can get a Flash emulator these days, or there are workarounds to get the last version of Flash working on your computer. Mm-hmm. But... The website Flash Game History has got an interesting, uh, some interesting graphs about the development of Flash games. Yeah, what's the history mainly about? Um, like, well, about which games came first, how they developed, oh, yeah. what was popular. Yeah. So, what's it called? Flash. Uh, FlashGameHistory.com. But he's also just published a collection of interviews. Oh. 
um, including the creator of Flash, Jonathan Gay, founder of Newgrounds, Tom Fope, uh, Ramey Ismail, who you might know better from uh, Vlambia. Yes, yes. Man, this website's amazing. Someone put a lot of time and dedication. Wow. They have. Holy moly. This spread chart showing what's popular in what year? 2003, Stick RPG, Bubble Trouble, 100%, yeah. Escape Room, 2005, Escape Room. Come jump across. Man, it goes crazy between, yeah, 2010. It's like, whoa. I think we, ju- we just uh, blew uh, Devi Boy's mind. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. In 2013, everything starts to die. Oh. Just a note. It, well, that was about when they announced that they were winding it yeah, back, wasn't it? So. it? took them a, a long time to wind it down, but they announced it. But uh, just a note, on the Flash Games history page, the second section is quite flashy. I don't know if that's uh, an issue for epilepsy or not, but just be aware. I see, yeah. It's not too bad, but it is there. It's noticeable. Crazy parts. Oh, oh my god, Skinny Craft! <laughs> well, that is 2011 and 100%. You can't, you can't spend 30 bucks by Minecraft? Here's Skincraft and Mind Blocks. <laughs> 1.8 million. Oh, man. The, the sad part with all the with Flash dying is all those websites. I wonder how, how Newgrounds is going to survive oh, now. Fine. They, um, they've upgraded because obviously Noodle's coming. They've changed everything um, to different systems. So everything runs 15 level 5 oh. now. They've still got a very bustling community of artists. Like It's basically competitive competitor out really. Um, so I think they're really still just fine. Like you can run Unity games in the browser or anything. So they're still all that up. Yeah. Because yeah. back in the day, like fails, you have um, oh, Blue sorry. Maximus Flashpoint. Oh yeah. Which I've mentioned before, but is a project to collect and curate. I don't even know if they're doing much curating, but they're collecting Flash games and making sure they keep running. And it's something like 500 gigs of Flash games as the whole thing. Quick, everybody, whip out your Flash, whip out your thumb drives. And start downloading. I may or may not have uh, the collection downloaded. The crazy part, though, is like how back in the good old days, uh, everyone would visit Newgrounds for the Flash animations and see how cool people would um, use that thing. <laughs> and Minecraft, man. the Flash game. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. Oh, I yeah, that sounds w- like a rubbish knockoff. Yep. <laughs> 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 okay, so what year is this? 2011. Oh, Sex Realism version 0.375. <laughs> yeah, there was some dodgy stuff Play going on in Flash 500, Games. 500,000 times at newgrounds.com. <laughs> what surprised me is that I saw Motherload in that list at about 850,000. Yeah. I can't believe that only had 850,000. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm looking for Race it. 2 on here, and I can't find it for life for me. Because I thought it was really popular, but apparently not. Oh, well, sorry. Sorry for keeping sidetracking us. Okay. Hey, so, um, I recommend the interviews on this site. They're fairly short, but it is a. Um, it really feels a bit nostalgic. It's a bit sad and. But if Flash was any part of your life, go and check it out. Do you guys have a, a favorite Flash game? I said for the Race series of games. Ah, um, nice. Um, Johnny Rocket Fingers yeah. for me. I was about to say, it'd probably be Race and um, Stick Wars. Oh, remember how stick animation was the was thing, the thing when, yeah. w- <laughs> with Flash animation? Man, that animation was fun. Animation versus animator. That was probably the highlight of all those stuff oh my god yeah crazy fancy pants 
God, I haven't seen that in years. <laughs> yeah, I've just played all the, oh my, yeah, yeah. Um, what's it called? X Gen Studios. Um, what was the game? Motherload, Motherload. Yeah. Oh my. Wow, Professor, I think you, I think you took uh, took Devi Boy to a to a memory lane. <laughs> yeah, we've lost him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, time to close with oh, this video, sir. <laughs> Yep, he's taking a Porsche down memory lane. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> and then what were the other websites that were famous besides the new guys? Mini uh, Clips Arma, was also famous. as well. Yeah. Yep. And then there's like all the pirate, pirate like, dodgy shit. <laughs> Man, we, what's going to suck now? Like, remember how people would use Flash animation just to make all these, <laughs> all these cool stuff? That's going to be dead. It will, but I think there will be replacements that pop up. Yeah, I used to love making uh, making Flash animations using Macromedia Flash in the good old days. Now I'm like, oh, man, feels like an end of an era. Not wrong, eh? I, uh, I will say this. We, we, we did speak about the best of Flash. What was the worst of Flash you've ever encountered? Worst of Flash? Uh, might be going a bit the of age issues. issues. Wait, was, um, sorry, you kind of... Um, Overlapped here. Was that Professor? Security issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what were you, uh, Debbie Boy? What was your um, worst of Flash moment? Worst of Flash moment encountered? was when you. Okay, so you're just searching a kid for Flash games, and then you, know, you search websites, and then you load up an R18 plus furry porn site for the Flash games, and you're like, well, time <laughs> true to release my history and my soul. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you give anyone creative tools, it's going to happen. Uh, so it's not really the worst of Flash, it's more worst of humanity. <laughs> but um, not King Shame, not King Shame, just saying. Um, of- yeah, that was the sort of dodgy stuff going on that I was talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, guys, good drawings. I'm just going to take, take the back door, thanks. Um, in, in terms of actual glaring issues, probably bugginess with the actual software towards the uh, finally is the Flash Adobe player and a Flash um, name, what do you call it? I don't forget, this is called Flash, wasn't it? I mean, the program itself, like, yeah. it was so buggy, it could crash constantly. Obviously, because Adobe wasn't Micro putting much support flash. into it because they're wanting to kill it with a shotgun. But, uh, yeah, I'll probably my these things. The downside for, um, now that Flash is gone, this will, um, Take out a lot of, of the other um, Adobe related products with uh, which has associated with Flash, like Dreamweaver and stuff. No, it won't. No, Dreamweaver's still around. Dreamweaver's a web dev tool, not a Flash dev tool. I always thought, like, even with the Flash, um, even though Dreamweaver is a web dev tool, like, you would need Flash, and like, Flash is vital with the web de- in terms of web development. No, it's not at all. Not at all? No. And basically anything that you could do in Flash, you can now do in HTML5. Ah, that's true, yeah. Or JavaScript if that floats your boat, hmm. which it shouldn't really. Web development's going to be a whole new game when now that Flash is gone. I think most web devs moved on a while ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, since 2015, it's basically been everyone's moved on with Flash. Like, the sec they didn't have yeah. the Flash software anymore, everyone's like, yes, yeah. Yeah, and it never ran on Apple phones. So Apple is Apple. Was, yeah. <laughs> but Steve Jobs. So there's not really it's any... It's 2008, um, everyone's going, iPhone, we want to play Flash games. No, Apple Store. <laughs> <laughs> 
there shall be no such a be no flash in the Apple House. Yeah, so uh, Apple blocked it. Um, so if you created a flash program after you know 2012 or so, you're cutting out a big chunk of your audience because uh, Apple fans. Yeah, basically at that point, what killed Flash was the fact that the iOS stormed Google Play a little bit later because that's where all the kids were. And the main target went to Flash games at the time, of course. So why would you develop for a website when you can develop for the mobile phone and have that pocket which they can easily assess without them worrying about putting on websites and corporate right issues? Maybe today, one, you could keep your game locked down to your you, your own company or your personal uh, profile a lot easier. Plus, in Flash, people found ways they can take the game and put it up on any junk website they like, right? It was just a file. Yeah. But... The other big advantage of releasing on uh, a phone, you can have ads. Money, yeah, that's a big one. Like, I'm sure some of the websites had some deals set up for people, but you can charge for the game itself before downloading, and then, yeah, have a whole ad system, more transactions, and all the stuff you have today in it. Uh, here's a, he, he, I found an article about why Steve Jobs hates... Um, what, why Steve Jobs hates Flash on iPhones. Oh. And the reason why, it's because it's buggy. He even stated that... The rare times when a Mac crashes, it's usually due to Flash. Uh, Jobs also predicted that no one would be using Flash in the future, turning instead turning to HTML5, which is somewhat ironic. Why? Because HTML5 is the platform used by Google to allow the new browser-supported Google Voice app to bypass Apple's App Store and work on mobile Safari. The CEO says that Apple has the potential to do many great things uh, Adobe has the potential to do many great things, but just doesn't, and he calls the company lazy. Oh. And this, okay, this was in 2010 at the end of January. Well, anyone could tell that in the future people won't use Flash. But yes, he was right. I'll tell you right now, I bet in 30 years no one's going to be using iPhones. Wow, what a, I have such foresight, right? <laughs> But speaking of so, Apple, no, should we segue into our next topic? We should. <laughs> DJ, what's the deal with rap lyrics? Uh, so apparently there's a, a precedent that uh, rap lyrics are now admissible as court evidence. I thought this was a thing they'd done for a few years. I didn't know it was a new, um, a new thing to use rappers uh, in court. Yeah, so the case goes like this. So on the January 27th... Kil- killing of George Forrester, which was shot by a drug dealer after he attempted to buy cocaine with a counterfeit bill. And uh, based on the single witness identification, Lawrence Montague was indicted for Forrester's murder. Three weeks before the trial, Montague used the jailhouse telephone to record a rap verse, which was then uploaded to Instagram. At Montague's trial, the state of Maryland introduced the telephone recording of the lyrics as evidence of Montague's guilt, and Montague was convicted and sentenced to a combined 50 years for second-degree murder and the use of a firearm in the crime of violence. I mean, yeah. Should they be able to do that, though, DJ? What do you reckon? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, it's, It comes down to the whole, like... Um, freedom of speech and when, and the legal consequences kind of thing, you know? It, it's kind of heading that, that direction. 
Well, what about cases where the work is actually based on the crime that they committed? Oh, so there's precedent in the US that uh, if you write a book based on a crime you committed, you can't get any uh, royalties for it. Yeah, because isn't that because that's under the whole um, profit pro- profiting from crime? I mean, it, it's it's been done here as well. Like, remember when um, with Chappelle Corby and how eight um, ASIO decided to raid into Channel Seven and said like. Oh yes, she is uh, not going to profit from this, and we're not letting her profit from the from the reports. Okay. Yeah. So here we go. Um, I'm reading this um law report here. So the court of appeal that held that rap rap lyric evidence has heightened pr- probative value and is admissible as substantive evidence of a defense's guilt uh, when lyrics bear a close nexus to the details of the alleged crime. Uh, petitioner's rap lyrics has clo- had a close nexus to the details of alleged murder because the lyrics had a close factual nexus to the details of the murder, had a close temporal nexus to to the murder, and recited snop- stop snitching reference that was published on social media to potentially intimidate witnesses to the murder. As a result, this close nexus, petitioner's rap lyrics tended to improve his involvement in the murder and served as substantive evidence to his guilt. You know what this does remind me of? O.J. Simpson writing If I Did It. <laughs> well, it was, uh, this reminds me of Johnny Cochran's um, line, uh, if the glove fits. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Oh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, if, if, it, if, it doesn't fit, you, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. That's the line. Yes, because he reckoned that well, the defense was that the glove belonged to the killer. And if O.J. Simpson's hand didn't fit, then obviously he's not going, he can't be the killer, right? But there's a lot of arguments for why that could still be the case, like the glove shrinking from being wet and uh, O.J. Simpson not taking his arthritis medicine so that his hands swell up. But um, he then went out and wrote a book that actually says, if I did kill them, here's how I would have done it. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, boys. This is how I've killed them. (laughs) <laughs> Spicy topics. Yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> Why would you? Now, everyone thinks I killed this person, but I'm now going to prove that I did it by saying how I would. <laughs> this can't go wrong at yeah. all. Now, that's some blue sky thinking. Wow, such <laughs> innovation. Oh, but um, there there is there is a bit of a um a bit of a flaw with this uh, whole rap lyrics thing. They said here when the defense uh, defendant's rap lyrics are insufficiently tethered to the details of an alleged crime, the lyrics should be excluded as unfairly prejudicial propensity evidence. Uh, the probative value of petitioner's rap lyrics was not substantially outweighed by the danger of unfair prejudice because a close nexus existed between petitioner's lyrics and the details of an alleged murder. Yeah, I suppose there are cases where it's obvious it's about them, like uh, the song Rolf Harris wrote about his victims. Oh, no, don't get me started about that one. Oh. Yeah, jeez. Seems like if you write a song about your crimes, you're a bit of a scumbag, right? <laughs> uh, but in t- I don't know, what do you reckon? Music lyrics in general, like, do you... Would you, if you were the judge of a court case, would you want to do it though? Like, add it as court evidence? Like, depending on when the song was written uh, and what the context of the lyrics are. Because I remember seeing a comment once on uh, Cat Stevens, which song was it? I don't remember which one off the top of my head, but it has the lyric 
if he tries to rule the sky, he must fall. And then a, another line that's like, um, we must try to break it down, do our best to shake, shake the ground or something along those lines. And I remember seeing a comment saying, he wrote this about 9-11 because Cat Stevens famously converted to being a Muslim. Oh. The thing is, the song was published in the 70s. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so in that case, it's obvious it couldn't have been about 9-11. Um, if I did it, you know, he's been found innocent, but it does sound pretty dodgy to write a book about that. Uh, and then, um, like, Ralph Harris in prison writing a song about his victims that is straight up about them. There's, you know, I think it depends on the context of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Is there it murderous <laughs> It is. But, like, should, um, should, should we preemptively put people in jail for publishing works that are violent? I mean, we're kind of entering into that era, though. What? I mean, like, I mean, look at Ch look at China, for example. Yeah, they China's were like punish anyone. China's an edge case. China has been China for as long as China existed in some form. They've yeah. broken apart more times than they've been together. Um, so I'm reading through this article, and they're saying here. Um, the chilling effects of this ruling on the creativity of all rap and hip hop is greatly concerning. Great music is more than more often than not rooted in storytelling, and by imposing criminal consequences for a story told through the artistic medium, the court here threatens to stifle creativity and limits the scope of artistic expression. Yeah, I don't think that's valid. Because it's still perfectly fine to write a song that's about violence and murder. As long as you're not the one doing the murdering. <laughs> And, you know, maybe when you're in jail for under suspicion of murder, it's a bad time to go around yelling about murder in people's faces. I know that's, you know, being prejudiced because of what they did while they're in jail, but it's not like... Really? Really? Is it really <laughs> a bad idea? Wow, I could have never known that. <laughs> it's not like they're just scooping up anyone who's ever had a violent thought and throwing them in jail for it. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Because it's not like there is substantial reason to why. I mean, okay, you can rap about, you know, doing drugs and all this shit as long as you're not doing it. But, you know, Mr. Snoop Dogg walks in and he's like, how many packs deep in <laughs> freaking marijuana, right? It's a slight. Yeah, I rap about it. I don't take it at all. Oh, yeah. Nah. Nice. Remember safe. a few years ago at E3 when he was brought on to play Battlefield 1? Yeah. <laughs> and the people next to him basically got high just from sitting next to him, from being in his aura of smoke. <laughs> you know what? He keeps to his name well. He does snoop. There has, I, I will say this: there have been cases of um, like rappers um, saying saying um, like outlandish lyrics and getting investigated. Though, like uh, my, the most famous one I can remember is uh, Eminem when he did the, when he did like a rap rhyme on um, I think some award show. Then he got uh, then he got investigated by the FBI for, as a result of I that. Mean, yeah, if you get it's definitely possible that it's prejudice. Yeah, but. I mean, if you get investigated by FBI, it's not the worst thing in the world because it's more if they go ahead and do an arrest. At least the FBI, like some little town police department, they'll lock you up and throw away the key and yeah. not do the investigation properly. Should they investigate? Because if something was going yeah. now, which there probably wasn't, of course, so it's like, okay, 
they solved that, right? They they made sure it's okay, so it's okay. But it was like just a police car just bursting guns blazing. I think you made a rap song about something. We're arresting you because of that. Then that's uh okay. Just take a few steps back, please. Uh, and I like in this article, uh, the the author of this article is saying, I would lo- I would invite anyone suggesting that this ruling is not limited to rap music to find an example of a court admitting lyrical evidence of a country singer driving drunk or shooting a cheating spouse. That's kind of true. I can't think of any examples off the top no, of my wrong. head there. I can think of a dozen, you know, a dozen times when people have rapped about murders they've committed or whatever, or been accused of it, but I can't think of country singers. <laughs> can you imagine Elvis Presley or or um, Tim McGraw going like, yeah, I, uh, I, I did all this and I did all that. Did you or did you not fall into a burning ring of fire? Johnny <laughs> Cash. <laughs> well, Johnny Cash wrote songs about crimes. Oh, yeah. The, one, the first one that comes to mind is the one where he steals a car piece by piece in his lunchbox. Obviously, he's guilty. <laughs> Go out. Done. Case closed. <laughs> so at the end, um, the uh, uh, the author writes, um, the art, art should be a safe space where humans can bring attention to the best and worst parts of our society and human experience, whether we're celebrating, educating, protesting, or anywhere in between. It shouldn't be valued, or any, um, valued any differently because of it's crafted in a jailhouse rather than a recording studio. Well, that's also true. Creating art in jail is still art, but not when it's about the crime you've committed. So especially if it's unrepentant, it's something, you know, we'd have to see the full facts of the case, I think, to make a decision on this. But I think, I personally think that if you're dumb enough to um, admit to a crime in a, in some work, then yeah, that's, um, you should, should be able to use that in court. But um, who knows the truth of this case? Mm-hmm. I agree with the professor on this one. I mean, we need to, we need to get all the context and the yeah. um, facts about this case before see, we so make a sound decision. Right? But yeah. Speaking of wanting to know all the information, Apple has some new products. There we go. Debbie's <laughs> doing my job for me, and he's better at it than you are, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, leaks. Leaks and air quotation marks have been released that shows the Apple is now reportedly uh, attempting to make two folding phones. One will be a competitor to the Samsung Galaxy Fold. Another one will be a competitor to the Z Flip in a similar style based on the reports. Uh, Still early days, but Apple is beginning to work on the technology. Um, And yeah, I mean, basically Apple only does stuff if they believe it's something they is going to sell. And from them adopting this, it pretty much is going to standardize folding phones as an actual feature phone in the market, I believe. Oh, yeah. What are you guys' thoughts? Well, Apple won't do anything until they're sure they can do it right and that they can claim they were the first one to do it. So how do you something different then? Because, okay, the estimated release date is 2000, late 2022. So it's still a while away. Um, so obviously there's going to be more time there for other companies bring out different types of folding phones. So the question what they're going to do to make it theirs, if you know what I mean. It just reminds me of that South Park episode where um, Butter pl- plays a supervillain. He's like, I, I'm going to create these ta- these um, schemes to create um, to destroy the world. And his uh, psychic's like, Simpsons did it. 
That's what it feels like. It's like Apple saying like, yeah, we're going to make this folding phone. And so I bet you some Apple intern will be like, Samsung did it. Samsung did it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Cause it's, it's, I didn't expect them to jump on board this train. It's not a very Apple train to be on. No, there's a lot of issues with it so far. Perhaps, I don't know. Maybe they'll actually create a folding glass technology like full on like, like Samsung's or maybe... Oh, or could it be possibly, could it be possibly they're going to make these the first part of the new generation of cordless, socketless, buttonless phones. So it's the feature, the gimmick of the phone then is that it has the following technology, but it doesn't have any buttons, no charging ports, no nothing. So that way you can use any environment and like stand up in different ways, perhaps. I don't know. I'm just running on fumes here in terms of ideas because it really is, as you said, Apple's got to make it their own in some way. And that's, you know. Apple likes to inflate the price a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'll be interested, interested to see what Apple pulls off. I'm not a huge Apple fan, but the um, you know when they do get around to jumping on the bandwagon, they make sure they do it right. Yes, or and make sure to um, price by a lot. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of things Apple's done wrong. But um, I love the fact. I suppose we are a bit distracted by the good bits. <laughs> you know, their laptops have good exterior design. The hardware inside's a bit, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. But that's the thing with Apple, though. App- most of the Apple stuff, like the laptops, their phones, and stuff, they're just fashion accessories. Not entirely. Yes, mostly it is a prestige thing. But also for those that are not tech savvy, there are e- they they are easier computers to use. Like yeah. Apple computers and their system only works with Apple stuff, but it's impeccably easy for someone who's brain dead with any sort of technology, which for a lot of people out there is, well, what they need for their jobs. And because of that, they can I charge they the were. price immensely. As when you go down the ladder of like PC knowledge versus price, you have Apple stuff at the top, which is highly expensive and highly uh, easy to use, right? They go to Windows, is about, you know, it's a medium. You can build whatever rig you like, throw Windows on it, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it's functionality-wise, it's in the middle because, you know, it's usable, but you also can modify it a lot. And then you have Linux at the bottom, which is, like, in the peculiarly difficult to use if you're not someone who understands mainframes and coding, as well as cheapest because it's free. So that's, like, the tier list. Yeah, and then Apple does have a lot of issues. Um, well, apart from the interior hardware being lacking, they do sometimes have issues with their exterior hardware, like the butterfly keyboard where the slightest grain of dust would destroy it. Oh, God. And the um, they've gone back to the older style, which is good, though, only after, like, five <laughs> years. But the M1 is pretty exciting. Yes, it is. Like, okay. Not an Apple fan. I wouldn't normally get hyped for an Apple release, but the M1, that's, you know, I want to see more CPU manufacturers because... We need more competition in that space. Oh, definitely, I'm saying. I think Apple should go back to their um, their roots in terms of uh, storage and mu- music music stuff. In terms of the folding phone, maybe like uh, turn from an iPod, maybe turn the iPod Mini into an iPod Shuffle or something like that. Mm, I mean, this is just going to be another optional form factor. You won't need to use um, you won't need to use the flip phone. Just like, well, I, up until Steve Jobs died, Apple would tend to only do one of each thing. But now they're doing the smart thing and having a couple of variants. So they, they'll have the flip on the iPhone 20 or whatever. 
But then you'll be able to still buy the smaller form factor, cheaper iPhones that won't have a flip. See, the thing with um, flip phones and flip phones, they're at, at, while they're cool to look at, I, I think they're more of an aesthetic thing than a... Uh, than anything else, I, I know I, I might be cynical on this one, but um, yeah, I'm fan of um of flip actually because it would mean that the interior screen can be better protected. I mean, I'm seeing I've, I've been seeing some of the cool um stuff that uh, Marquez Brandley has made has released with in terms of the um, flip phones, and they look cool, like their designs and whatnot. But in terms of functionality, eh, you know, like would you pay? Like, okay, question: Would you? Pay money to get a fo- to get a folding phone. I would if it was in the price range and had the features I want. Likewise, I'm I won't do it just because Apple does. Yeah. Okay. Let's say money. Let's say money. If money was no object, then would you still get it? If it would hold up to actual actually being used, which um, from the flip phones we've seen so far. And the interesting thing is, there's not only the flip phones. There's also the swivel phones as well. And that looks really weird. Wouldn't you agree, fellas? It's an interesting form factor. It's an experiment. So I like that they're doing experiments because for ages, the mobile market's been sterile. Everything's just a square box with a screen slapped on it now. You look at like the 2000s phones, it's like, holy shit, half these designers and something. Because, you know, oh, the screen looks out this way, left, right, up, down, two keyboards, three keyboards. A keyboard and lights. It's just like they're throwing everything at the wall to see what would stick and trying something different of each model of phone. And nowadays, every phone is basically the same, right? So I think in trying all these new ideas is, to me, I find really cool and something I'm definitely buying to once the time comes for it to be cheaper. Yeah. Anyway, moving along, what have you done this week, DJ? Um, I have been watching a series called Meta Runner, and uh, I'm liking it. I'm really liking it, to be honest. It's uh, made by an Australian company called um, SMG64, which is a which is based in Sydney. And oh man, it's the story is intriguing in terms of it's based around the world of esports and transhumanism. And you follow the the journey of a girl by the name of Tari and how she uh, and she's trying to figure out her past and and she um, makes some new friends and they're going against this organization called Tazcorp. That's the short end of it, but yeah. Okay. And I I will say this like the story, the writing, it's really cool. Like really amazing look at the um, styles, the animation. Really crisp, really crisp. One. Although I will, my my only slight criticism is okay. I I don't know about you guys, but I just think what is with the animation style? Like oh, like the three D animation. Like oh, I, I sometimes hate. I sometimes cringe on the on, on the animation of it. Like it's like the whole series is supposed to be an anime, but it's not really an anime with all the with the with the with the lovely three D. I mean. That kind of gets me at some point, at some times. Okay, so uh, um, anything else about it? How many points do you give it? Um, I would give this uh, four out of five. 
four out of five like with the um like i said the graphics the um even though the graphics are just like yes we've seen this in every tri- every uh, like australian anime australian animated series mm-hmm. yes we've seen that type of thing the story writing is nicely done the music is beautiful to l- listen to it's not the it's not the same old like grindy uh, music that you hear in every other anime with the butt with the butt rock and whatnot. Um, like there is an element of suspense that I that that, that I have I have not seen in a long time. So yeah, I yeah, besides that initial criti- besides that small criticism, I like the feel of it. It's pretty good. Okay, what about you, Devi? I have been playing GTA Five for the first time. Well, attempting to finish the campaign for the first time. So. You spend a lot of time in the online? No, no, I just never really played it much. I'll pl- pick it up uh, on the uh, PS4 and then we'll just drive around and kill people as, as you do on GTA. Fair enough. <laughs> Cause mayhem, you know, get five star one level, just put in some cheats and have fun. But because uh, it got for free through the game store a few months ago, I finally sat down during lockdown and I was like, might as well finish the single four, six comes out in like eight years. <laughs> 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 yeah, I still can't believe GTA Five was the leading trailer for the PlayStation <laughs> Five announcement. Have you seen reaction videos of it? Everyone's like, "Rockstar Games, oh my god, GTA Five, and then the logo appears. Me, sorry, oh my god, GTA Six, and the logo appears. It's just GTA Five. It's like, oh my god. Because look, GTA Five is the best-selling game on both the PS3, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and PS4. Like, come on, guys. It made enough money. It's time for a new one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's not really much I can say that's already been said about the game. So I'll just give it a 5 out of 5 straight away. The only thing I will be knocked off about, I hope they improve the next one, is the way police spawn is bullshit. So you'd say oh. you'd give it 5 out of 5 GTAs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the main reason I have this thing is because you can be driving down yeah. the street and then suddenly five uh, police spawn in front of you, right? Well, you've been dead quiet, and then the guys who are following you just despawn, and the game wants you to turn around and go in the opposite direction. It's like, it's not very realistic. But... Yeah, um, fun bug, though, that I'm not aware of ever being fixed. Animals will turn you into the police. What? So you think, <laughs> I'll go out into the bush and commit my crime, and no one will know. <laughs> but animals will witness you and call oh, the cops. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> because there's... I've seen, I think someone made a mod that might have fixed it, but there's like one line in the, um, in the code that sets whether a creature is intelligent enough to call the police. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the crowd's going to call up. the police. <laughs> snip, snip. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's amazing how often things like that get out there. Same thing happened with, um, with Aliens Colonial Marines. Mm. The AI was broken yeah. because of one typo. I know. No, 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 no. <laughs> Did it fix the game of being terrible? Yeah. But it a bit better if they fix the code up a bit. Oh, poor, poor Bioware. No one else Gearbox, my fault. Bioware are making <laughs> another Aliens game, but I got cancelled by Sega because they decided they wanted to go and include the Marines. Well, at least isolation is yes, good. Definitely. Oh, I, I also forgot to tell you, but uh, Metarunner, the uh, the se- with the series, by the way, it's uh, the graphics are done. Uh, Epic Game Studio is d- does the graphics in that one. Okay. And- with the GTA Five, by the way, uh, Debbie Boy, have you done any mods to it yet? Or are you gonna? Wait oh, for wait till this campaign. Then real. One of the great things about the PC release is that you can turn up the pedestrian density. Oh, really. And have just so many more NPCs around than there were on the console release. 
Because the city always feels a bit empty looking at videos. Another bugger. bugger. So when you're in five star, above three stars, they start to despawn NPCs and cars in your vicinity, right? That are not police cars, basically. That's a bugger because you can have your sniper rifle out and you're trying to shoot other cars down the road and they're coming driving towards you and they just disappear. <laughs> and so obviously as little as they can do okay last bugger rockstar's mission design is terrible please drive to this one location this one area no no you can't park your car across the street please drive right here now <laughs> so everyone's complained about someone, that times yeah. someone made a mod um where they they put the um australian police cars in it oh, no <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of good mods for that. I'm sure there are hundreds of millions of mods at this point, considering how long the game's been out for. And then there's online, which you don't speak of. Hmm. Although that uh, that new submarine looks pretty cool. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. It only costs you like $20 billion. <laughs> Literally. Like, there's no <laughs> point of playing online these days unless you've loaded with actual real-life cash you want to spend the game. Because you're never going to... You just spend your time driving around getting shot at. Yeah, apparently the new um, update makes it easier to earn money, but I haven't played in, I don't know, two years now. Would you say it's worth it still? It was all right when I was playing, but I don't know, honestly. This was like before the oppressor was a thing. (laughs) And I hear the trolling got a lot worse when the oppressor came in. In what's that? Flying motorbike with homing missiles. Holy shit, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think you intrigued every boy. (laughs) More scared for my life. Yeah, so um, I watched... Well, I marathoned, really. The David Bowie movie, The Man Who Fell to Earth, and the musical Lazarus. They were doing a... Uh, they did a live stream of Lazarus this weekend as uh, to honour David Bowie's birthday. And since I missed out on seeing it when it was in Australia because of exams, I finally got to see it. I'm so confused, but I have to give it five out of five. Because <laughs> it's David Bowie. <laughs> yes, but the editing in the movie is wacky. The symbolism is weird. But the way the musical recontextualizes David Bowie's songs and tells a story with them is incredible. What is it called again? Lazarus. Okay. It's the sequel to The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is about an alien coming to Earth to... um, It's basically about Elon Musk. (laughs) Alien comes to Earth, invents all this cool tech, and wants to go home. Lazarus is a sequel to that. Alien, but, um, I suppose it's not a spoiler since the movie's been out for like 50 years. The um, That long? No, 40 years. Something about that. Somewhere between 40 and 50 years. He, he's come to Earth to save his own planet and he fails. So Lazarus leads in with um, with that. Uh, like He's been on Earth for another few decades, um, gone into alcoholism and all of that. But the movie, gratuitous sex scenes all over the place. <laughs> Uh, yes, um, I think you need to watch them as... I think Lazarus would stand on its own, but I think you really need to watch it as a package to really get where um, Thomas Jerome Newton is coming from in Lazarus, because without knowing that he came to Earth and how he ended up where he is, it's just kind of a, an alcoholic who wants to go to space. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, man! And I'm still still processing it because the symbolism and all that, still interpreting it. Uh, yes, we'll do a um, a short break you know, for an ad. Get back to you with our shout outs and remembrances for this week. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, of course, we have to add uh, Jonas Neubauer, who the Tetris champion we mentioned earlier. But for our shout-outs this week, we have... On the 3rd of January this year, One Piece hit 1,000 chapters. After more than 25 years, it's finally hit 1,000 chapters. I don't know, is that a long time or a short time for a manga? Yeah, it's uh, one of the longest-running mangas. Oh, second longest-running manga's history. Or maybe it's past that of the new chapter. Let me check. So the writer, Ichiro Oda, I think, is how you pronounce that? Yep. Has spent half of his life publishing One Piece. Weekly? Bloody hell, that's a lot of story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there there are... How many pages are in a weekly manga? A weekly manga, I think it's uh, 18. Okay, so short, but, you know, it must take a hell of a production line to keep up with that for 25 years. Oh, yeah, he's got, like, editors and, um, like, editors, artists and stuff. He, He... He does all, I think he does all of them by himself, I think. Okay. Oda says that uh, they're entering the final arc and it's been a long story, but please support Luffy a little bit longer. And on the 4th of January, we have Tanya Roberts, the Bond girl from A View to a Kill. Also in the sitcom That 70s Show. She died several hours after she was mistakenly declared dead by her publicist and her partner. Just quickly to finish up on that One Piece one. So no, it's not the longest running manga in history. The longest running manga is Duckerdin, which started in 1972. And its last chapter was in 2018 and still going. Uh, It's a total combined unknown, but predicted to be over 2,000 chapters. Wow. Then the second longest manga history is another start in 1976, which has a very long Japanese title. I'm not going to pronounce it. I'll put it in the description. Uh, with a compiled total of 1,960 chapters. So, unfortunately, no, it's not the longest running. It's at place... Uh, let's quickly find this. It's at place 25 in the longest running series of all time. But in terms of sales... Uh, I believe it's one of the most best-selling mangas. Let me just double-check that. Well, summer high on the list. Uh, yeah, one piece. Highest-selling manga in history. Approximate sales is roughly around 4,700,000. blah copies sold, which is a mighty step up from Dragon Ball, which has approximately its max 30 million copies sold. So it's uh, well and far ahead. It's the best-selling manga in history. Yeah. So, um, yes, Tanya Roberts, she played Stacey Sutton in A View to a Kill. She also was in The Beastmaster and Hearts and Armor and played the third angel, Julie, in Charlie's Angels. She died from a urinary tract infection in Los Angeles, California. I also, the- uh, uh, well, an interesting fact on this one, I was, as I was researching it, she also played in the... Um- she also played as the comic book um, hero uh, Sheena. I'm like, wow, she was Sheena? 
I did not know that. And on the 10th of January this year, we have the fifth anniversary of David Bowie's passing. On the 10th of January 2016, two days after his 69th birthday, David Bowie died at his Lafayette Street home in New York City after, after fighting liver cancer for 18 months. He died two days after the release of his 25th album, Black Star. Um, he'd kept his illness private, chucking fans and friends. I mean, he kept it private, but it was pretty clear in that final album I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Looking back on it, it is a very clearly about preparing for his own death. Yeah, it's depressing what that music we do these days. Holy shit. Mm. Gotta give that man credit, though. Like, he... He made that. Uh, he made that final album while go, undergoing that. I mean, that had that is some. Yeah. That has some balls of it steel. It is a banger for a final. It's not exactly a banger. It's a great album. It's not a headwrap thrasher. It's a very. <laughs> what do you call it? It's a very mellow sort of album, I guess. Yeah, some of the songs are mellow and poignant. Yeah, especially um, Dollar Days. Oh, that's right. Jeez, that one. So relaxing, but the undertones make And Lazarus. Yeah. Blackstar's a bit weird. That's a very interesting sound to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So Memorial's popped up all around the world, and his uh, and Blackstar stayed atop the charts for three weeks. He was the biggest-selling vinyl artist of 2016 in the UK, with five albums in the vinyl top 30. I reckon it was good. It probably would have been huge even if he hadn't died. I understand. I agree. It's a bit weird, but it's Bowie. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, it's the same case with Michael Jackson when he died. Like albums, just album sales went through the roof after he died. Yes, and David Bowie's last uh, public appearance was actually at the premiere of Lazarus, the play. Huh. I'm just glad he was able to see the Space Odyssey video before he died. It's like full circle, right? Astronaut playing a yeah. song in space. You've made it, man. <laughs> yes, that Chris Hadfield cover of Space Odyssey is amazing. Mm. Also, name drop, his son does a series called Rare Earth, which is absolutely fantastic. So Hadfield's son? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, have you watched those videos before? Bowie's son. Uh, no, I haven't actually seen Rare Earth. No, no. Okay, so it's actually his son. They do. He goes all around the world and shares stories and things. It's like documentaries in a way. So it's basically Tom Scott, but he does more serious topics, put it that way, like war, conflicts, cultural clashes, and things like that. It's really interesting. More, it's more philosophical, okay. basically. Yeah. Yeah, David Bowie's son's done some pretty good movies as well. Oh, yeah, he actually oh. did the Warcraft movie that came out what? a few years ago. Okay, yeah, I didn't know. And I thought that's a waste of his talents because he's really good at sci-fi. And this is just sort of a generic fantasy. I know it's Warcraft, but <laughs> you can't get much more generic fantasy than Warcraft. But come on, Warcraft's not that generic. Oh, hang on. Wait, Hatfield was in the uh, wait. Wait, wait, wait. So who was in War the Warcraft movie again? It was directed by Duncan Bowie. Or Duncan Jones. No. No way. Yeah, he's also done other great movies like Source Code. It's one I really love. Nice. And on to our remembrances. On the 6th of January 1945, we have Vladimir Vernadsky. Vladimir Ivanovich Vernadsky was a Russian-Ukrainian and Soviet mineralogist and geochemist one of the founders of geochemistry, biogeochemistry, and radiogeology. He's most noted for his 1926 book, The Biosphere, where he inadvertently worked to popularize Edward Seuss's 1885 term Biosphere by hypothesizing that life is a geological force that shapes the Earth. In Vernadsky's theory, the new sphere is the third stage in the Earth's development, after the geosphere, inanimate matter, 
and the biosphere biological matter. Just as the emergence of life fundamentally transformed the geosphere, the emergence of human cognition will fundamentally transfer the biosphere. Here we go about the uh, development of consciousness again. <laughs> this theory complements the theory of natural selection. Vernadsky's pronouncements were not widely accepted in the West, but he was one of the first to recognize that oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere are a result of biological processes. In the 1920s, he published articles arguing that living organisms could reshape planets as surely as any physical force. He was a pioneer of the scientific basis for the environmental sciences. He died at 81 in Moscow. So, oh, for our famous birthday, on the 6th of January 1932, we have Stuart A. Rice, an American theoretical chemist and physical chemist. During his tenure at the University of Chicago, he trained more than 100 PhD students and postdoctoral researchers. While at Yale, he began to study the transport properties of liquids, developing the theory of electronic excitations in molecular crystals and liquids, moving into the area of radiationist molecular transitions. The research led him to investigate the effects of quantum chaos on excited molecules and to couple the developing model of transitions with quantum chaos in order to attain control of the transition of excited molecules. At the same time, he began work on understanding the electrical properties of liquid metals. Along with uh, training over 100 students, doctoral students, he is famous for eating lunch almost every weekday at the Quadrangle Club restaurant, where he has dined over 9,000 times. He is known to sit at the head of the chemistry table, not because he is the most senior member, but because he is very tall. He was born in New York City. And for our event of interest, we have a movie, a Mad Max knockoff. <laughs> On the 6th of January, 1988, Wheels of Fire was released in France. The plot is, in the post-apocalyptic future, a ruthless vehicular gang called the Highway Warriors is conquering the wasteland through murder and plunder. During a raid, they kidnap the sister of a road warrior named Trace. He brings hell down upon them. Like, Mad Max is great, but, you know, you didn't have to rip it off. But that's all we have for tonight. Do you guys have anything to add? No, I say it's uh, pretty good. I think we covered everything. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you can find us on all the major platforms. Follow us on Twitter at nAmalgamated or join our Facebook group. You can, you can also, also find us at that's not canon.com where you can find other that's not canon podcasts. Did you look them up this week, DJ? Yeah, I've got one. It's called uh, That's Classic Entertainment. So on so basically the the premise is on the last day of every month they release they release online an episode of original comedy sketches and music inspired by the great artists of the 1920s and beyond. Refreshed for a contemporary audience, hundred years on for from the glory and ridiculousness of that golden era. Okay, so look after yourself, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next time. See ya. I say, if you're in Brisbane, stay inside, <laughs> please. But no, I must run, run away to the GTA lands. <laughs> stay nerdy and see ya. See ya, boys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.